We're very thankful, as always, to be joined by retired Lieutenant Colonel, Mr. Alan Gerstenslager. Alan, thanks for the time. Well, thank you for having me, Will. We bring you on from time to time as a subject matter expert of sorts on uh, things that happen uh, throughout the world, especially when it is in regard to uh, military action or potential military action. And we also uh, always have you give sort of a brief bio of uh, your time in, in the service. So uh, if you would, refresh our memory on that. Came in the Army right out of college from uh, SIU. I got commissioned through the ROTC program, uh, served for 22 years, uh, assignments in Europe, the Middle East, Pacific realm, Korea, in a wide variety of uh, tactical, operational, and strategic uh, level assignments. And uh, when did you uh, come out of the military? I retired in 2006. Well, we wanted to have you on today because I've been intrigued and I've been watching these attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East and Jordan from these Iranian-backed, quote-unquote, groups. And up until this morning, there had not been any casualties. But now we read reports that uh, apparently three uh, U.S. soldiers have been killed by a, a drone uh, strike. Alan, uh, as you've uh, read this news, uh, what were your uh, initial reactions uh, to it? Surprise and not surprise at the same time. These have been going on for a while. It was just a matter of time before this happened. On top of the three that uh, soldiers that have been killed, I think there's been 35 that had severe enough injuries that required evacuation out of theater. I think that was the last count. And this was inevitable with all that's been going on uh, in that part of the world, unfortunately. I remember uh, quite many years ago, John McCain was uh, criticized for making some uh, flippant remarks about bombing Iran. Uh, there has been this conversation about whether or not the United States should intervene military in Iran for a long time, but um, we never have. Uh, how do you analyze that uh, dynamic that's at play there with these Iran-backed militias? Well, it's not that the uh, Iranians love these militias. They do their dirty work for them and uh, keep them a distance. I think Iran's saying we had nothing to do with uh, planning this or executing it. But they fund these organizations. They give directions behind the scenes, and, and they are definitely involved with it. But as far as actions against Iran, you, you know, the question is, what action do you take? I'm sure right now at the Pentagon and in Central Command, they have uh, already established target sets to attack, uh, not just militarily, but uh, diplomatically, uh, informational warfare, uh, economically. And now the decision is, what do you do? And that's the that's a million dollar question. And I think in regards to what they need to do, the response needs to be swift and strong to send a message. It can't just be against, hey, the drone took off from this airfield, so we're going to take out that airfield. Uh, it's got to be more than that. Uh, or things will just continue. You know, strikes inside of Iran where you talked about, you know, it's not really a strikes against the Iranian people. It needs to be more uh, infrastructure, military sites, oil refineries, production. You know, that needs to be coupled with, like, strict sanctions like we had you know, a little over four years ago. It is an election year. That will play into it, unfortunately. This should be something that all parties come together 
we have a common response as one nation and there should be cooperation. Will that happen? I, I don't I don't see that happening. But hopefully we can get to something close to that. And the dissenters on both sides will uh, will weigh off. But I, I think it's you know, you you mentioned what what I see from this. You know, with everything going on between Israel and Gaza from October seventh, you know, these strikes in the Middle East, this one here happened to kill three soldiers, but they've been going on for months against targets. You know, the attacks against the shipping lanes in that part of the world. None of these are separate issues. I mean, these are all linked together. So your response needs to be against all of it. And it not it needs not be a, a United States response just because three Americans were killed. This affects uh, big parts of the world. And uh, and other countries need to be behind this and involved with the response. I think politically it's interesting in the sense that you have those on the left who are anti-war because they are essentially just peace activists. And then you have those on the right who are anti-war because in some sense they are isolationists. And so both Joe Biden and prospectively Donald Trump as a candidate for president uh, have factions within their own uh, voter base that will look afoul at statements or actions that intervene in these places, uh, whether it be support in Gaza, whether it be the war in Ukraine. Uh, The United States militarily is uh, sort of looking at a lot of different fronts right now militarily, and then also there really isn't a united position amongst the American people, I don't think, as represented through these uh, various voting blocks when it comes to what to do. It's one of those I think both parties are wrong. Uh, you can't be an isolationist, stick your head in the ground. Uh, you know, we have a long history of that back in the uh, post-World War I, 1930s, and we see how the world got out of hand there. And, and we needed to take a different response back then because we were forced into it once things got really bad that maybe could have been solved in the early 30s, you know, or mid-30s. We talked before about uh, Ukraine. It's not that this is totally uh, isolated uh, I think these responses are, we can do it and we can get by with it because, you know, you guys won't do anything about it. We'll continue to peck away with a thousand cuts uh, at, at America because they won't respond. And, I, you know, every, going back all the way to the uh, administration's exit from Afghanistan and how that went down. There's a lot there, Will, that uh, it's all linked together. The reasons that, you know, the reasons we have today should be no different than they were two weeks ago. The situation really hasn't changed. It's just they hit a target that gets a little closer to home for us. And uh, and I hate it. I hate it for the families of those soldiers that were killed and injured. Hopefully this situation can get better. I don't know. This is not a question I thought I was going to ask at the start of this. But, you know, you read these statements where three soldiers killed. Uh, they release the names because they're, you know, waiting to notify family members um, were you ever involved in a situation uh, regarding the notification of family members about a injured or a uh, or, or a killed uh, member of the military? Uh, I had to do I had to do a notification one time, and I got to tell you, Will, it's one of the toughest things I've ever done. I showed up with the uh, the soldier that was killed, his his company commander, and uh, the chaplain, 
and this was before cell phones and all of this immediate communications. And we uh, stood in their driveway of the, the spouse's house for about six hours waiting for her to get home with the kids from some event she was at and had to tell her and her four kids uh, that her husband wasn't coming home. And uh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I, our first responders, uh, policemen that have to do that on a regular basis and stuff, I, I tell you, that's, that's, there's a lot of jobs I've had in life that I don't want to do again, but that's definitely, definitely one of them. Uh, I think it's very respectful that they do wait. Nobody should find out they lost their son or spouse over the internet or on TV. You know, I would love to know what unit it was, uh, but I don't need to know. You know, it's it's like I want to know. Uh, those families need to know, and uh, I think it's it, it just how it how it has to be. Uh, but I think the response to it, we don't need to know the names for the response to happen. So that shouldn't be delaying things. Well, President Biden has said, quote, we will respond. And so apparently, or we shall respond. And there's always been some concern that Iran has been working toward a a nuclear capability. And uh, people believe that, you know, that's one of the things that makes responding there so volatile is that that they may be right on the verge or, or may have nuclear weapons. Um, you know, I haven't grown up in a world where nuclear warfare has really ever been a reality to me. I've never thought about that as being something that could actually happen. I read headlines about it. It was somebody with your experience. Is that a reality or is that just headline making type of stuff to sell newspapers? I think it is a reality. I'm a little bit older than you, but I remember, uh, at McIlvain School when the alarm would go off and we'd do drills and, and get underneath our desk like we thought that was going to make a big difference. <laughs> right. On nuclear attack. But, but, you know, it felt like we were doing something, you know. I, that is a possibility, the growing uh, nuclear threat. And that's why it's important to keep rogue nations like that from having that capability. So on that strike set, uh, Iranian nuclear facilities should I would think be a high on the high on the priority because you know do we think of nuclear weapons being giant missiles going from here to there uh, those type of things a nuclear weapon can be in a suitcase they can pass them to these militant groups and take large inflict large casualties we don't need that happening and you know it's not hard to be from that part of the world to this part of the world and in a short period of time so, yeah, I, th- I think you're, 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 Will, I think it is something that definitely needs to be concerned. And, and, you know, I've been involved on the planning side, big exercises and war planning and stuff. And, you know, you, you go through the decision-making process and, and they develop threats and here are targets to counter those threats. And then you have to decide what ones to do and not do. You know, what, because what's the causal effect on each one? If we do this, what will that cause? If we do that, you know, and things like the loss of civilian lives. So, you know, if you're killing thousands of Iranian people, you're going to lose the support of any the, any people you have there in their society, but you're also going to lose the, the support of other countries. There's a, there's a lot that plays into that. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan Gerstenschlager joining us today. We've been talking about the death of these three soldiers. They were... Uh, apparently stationed at what's called Tower 22 in Jordan, a base that holds a strategically important location. It's at the most northeastern point 
uh, where the countries border Syria and Iraq. Um, Alan, anything else that comes to your mind about this uh, kind of tedious situation there? There's four different ways to influence others, and that's through diplomatic, uh, informational, military, and economic actions. And it's called the dime. And and if you don't use all of those instruments of power, uh, it's not going to be successful. So it's not just about launching some uh, missiles and rockets into a, an air base and killing off where the drones were struck from. Uh, you've got to use other tools, and uh, and I, I'm hoping we do that. I've got I'm, I'm holding faith that we'll do that. You know, you said something there that I want to explore for just a moment, and it's that you know that ought to be a coalition. Why don't we have, or or is it a misconception that whenever uh, this sort of thing happens, uh, why isn't it the U.S. and Great Britain and France and whomever else in Western Europe responding? And it always seems to be the the U.S. alone. Well, everybody responds to their own interest. I think it's what you said is true. But I think it's a perception more than it's the complete truth. But we tend to respond to things that affect us. Others respond to things that affect them. I think that's part of our, you know, the issues in Ukraine right now. You have a big section of our uh, government that wants nothing to do with it. And, you know, people in Europe are very concerned about it. And they see it as a step to the next, the next rung, you know. If we don't support them, they're not going to support us. You have to work together on those things, but the bottom line is what affects us the most. But, you know, we've got to have strong diplomatic and economic, the use of economic sanctions against some of those countries and uh, letting Iran become ultra rich uh, off of oil when they're doing things like this is, is not smart. I mean, there's a lot to be said with our energy policy and those type of things that everybody's got an opinion on but uh, uh, we have really put them in a position of power the last several years that uh, they weren't in before well alan we appreciate your time as always to give us some insightful feedback on these issues as they uh, develop whether it's ukraine or israel and gaza or this particular development over the weekend uh, near the border of uh, syria or uh, syria and so again we uh, we thank you for the service to the country and we thank you for your time Well, thank you, Will, and I appreciate all you do, and uh, uh, thanks for having me on.